Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 58 because Rafael Dos Anjos, the former UFC lightweight champion, is taking on the emerging Rafael Fiziev in the main event live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And man, what a hell of a main event. I think third time's the charm in the sense that this fight was actually scheduled on two separate occasions. And it kind of goes in line with a lot of what we've been talking about over the past, not just few months, but honestly years with kind of there being a new guard coming up. And are these new up and comers going to usher out the old guard out of the rankings or is it vet lesson time? There's a lot to talk about here. So before we get started, everyone smash the like button, hit the subscribe button um share that we're live right now hit the retweet button on twitter and let's get down to business y'all because in the main event in the lightweight division we got rafael dos años he's 31 and 13 representing brazil taking on rafael fiziv who's 11 and 1 now i'm not sure if he's representing kurzakstan his flag on tapology says Azerbaijan. Never actually heard of that place before, but either way, I know this guy's got a lot of pride. I was thinking it was Kyrgyzstan. And currently, they got it. Rafael Fiziev, minus 230. The comeback on Rafael Dos Anjos is plus 190. So just so you all know, I know Dos Anjos is Brazilian, but his first name is actually pronounced Rafael, not Rafael. So, and interestingly enough, Ronnie Yaya. It's not Hani Yaya. It's Ronnie Yaya. So now Asunsao, I'm not sure. He might be Rafael Asunsao, but Rafael Dos Anjos is Rafael. So this literally is the battle of the Rafaels. And let's get all the semantics and the bullshit out the way and let's break down this fight. So Rafael Dos Anjos, he's been there. He's done that. He's won the UFC lightweight belt. He's defended it. If you want to see what an ass whooping looks like, Go back and watch Rafael Dos Anjos' title-winning effort against Anthony Showtime Pettis. I mean, just pillar to post, the pressure he puts on fighters from that southpaw stance, the body kicks. He can mix in the, the opportunistic takedown. If you want to see an ass-whooping, go see Rafael Dos Anjos' first title defense against Cowboy Cerrone. If you want to see an ass-whooping, go see what Rafael Dos Anjos did to the former WEC and UFC lightweight champion, Benson Henderson. If you want to see an ass whooping, go watch Rafael Dos Anjos versus Nate Diaz. And that was a pillar to post 3026. So, I mean, Rafael Dos Anjos has beat the who's who. He's been there. He's done that. And what's awesome is that these last two fights, you know, we were starting to think, okay, he's lost four of his last five. Maybe he's not the same guy anymore, but he's been coming out there and he's going the full five round distance and really taking care of, you know, two established guys in Paul Felder and Hanato Moicano. However, we have to put some context into those wins. Now, I would never sit here and discredit those wins because, I mean, he beat those guys fair and square. However, Back to putting context behind it. I mean, you got to just state the facts that Paul Felder took that fight on like Tuesday of fight week. He took it less than five days before the fight. Hanato Moicano took it on like Wednesday or Thursday of fight week. He, I think Hanato might have even flown in the day of or the day before the weigh-in. So like 
these guys didn't have full training camps. These guys were, you know, just to put it bluntly, unprepared. And Rafael Dos Anjos, to his credit, treated them accordingly. Now, the difference here is that uh, Rafael Faziv has not only had this full training camp for Dos Anjos, he's had two other training camps. He knows what he's up against. So I don't think we're going to be seeing someone just coming in here for a paycheck, someone coming in here just to talk about the night that they fought the legend RDA. I actually think we're seeing someone here who's hungry, who's got something to prove, and that wants to come out here and get the biggest win of his career. Now, there's a lot of things to discuss, you know. There's a lot of talk about, oh, Rafael Fiziev's cardio, this and that, and I'm going to address all that for sure. So, I think that Rafael Fiziev fights at a torrid pace. Uh, firstly, let's pull up these numbers because a lot of people like to talk about how, oh, my God, he slowed down so much versus Bobby Green. And is that really true? Let's Let's look at what the numbers say if it's true. So, in that fight against Bobby Green, which firstly, Bobby Green is a different matchup than Dos Anjos, um, just a completely different matchup. Bobby Green is more of a boxer for MMA, relies a lot on his head movement, has got some very fast hands, will we'll from time to time mix in the you know occasional takedown. Uh, he only attempted two takedowns in that fight against Fazeev, both got stuffed. But the criticism for Fazeev in that fight was a lot of people said he slowed down in that third round. Now, here are my takes on it. Did, okay, was he maybe not as fast twitch and explosive as he was in the first round? Okay, maybe not. But, I mean, when you are the kind of, like I said, um, fast twitch explosive athlete that Rafael Fiziev is, it's kind of like that example we've been talking about with the, you know, with a sports car, man. You go 100 miles per hour on that highway you think that your gas mileage is going to go up or down. I mean, you think you're going to have to fuel up uh, sooner or later than, you know. So I, I think it was one of those things where you're going 100 miles per hour. It's only science that you're going to slow down. But when we talk about slow down, people act like, you know, this was like some Alex Hernandez type slowing down. People act like this was some Tyron Woodley type slowing down where the guy's backing himself up against the fans and not throwing any strikes at all and is wilting and that's just complete bullshit because look at the numbers Rafael Fiziev uh threw 79 strikes in round three versus Bobby Green just to put that in perspective that's more than he threw in round one versus Bobby Green it was Bobby Green that upped his output more than any other round in that fight in round three so I, I think it's one of those cases where these two fought at an absolutely torrid pace, but I don't think it was a case where Rafael Fazi was close to getting put out or, you know, was looking for a way out or, or, or any bullshit like that. I simply think these guys went balls to the wall. I mean, Green threw 263 strikes that fight. Fazeev threw 223 strikes that fight. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then the very next fight, he had this chess match with Brad Riddell, who... Yeah, there's some recency bias now that, you know, the six foot three tur uh, Turner got him out in the first round. But Brad Riddell, make no mistake about it, he's a legit fighter in that division. And him and Fazeev had an absolute tactical, technical battle. And in the third round, Rafael Fazeev was able to get him out of there. So I don't buy this narrative that, you know, Fazeev 
slows down to the point where you know he's a, a deer in the headlights and and this and that. All you got to do is get him past the first two rounds, and you're automatically going to win. I just I just don't buy into that narrative at all. The numbers back me up. He still attempted 79 strikes in round three versus Bobby Green. Like that's way better than the average. That's way better than most. Man, that is high output. It's just that again. I keep repeating myself when you're such an explosive guy, when you fight at the pace he does. Yeah, obviously, he's going to slow down a little bit, but people exaggerate the extent of it highly, in my opinion. So that being said, a lot of people criticize, you know, Rafael Fizzi for slowing down. But how come I haven't heard anyone say anything about that fifth round against Moicano? that RDA had where he slowed down against a guy who literally flew in on Thursday night uh, for the fight, a guy who took the fight on one-week notice, a guy who was at the Brazilian churrascaria eating that house special picanha, medium rare, and the garlic beef, the beef ribs, the fraldinha, and then he flew in from Brazil to take the fight. Like, look, Renato, money moicano, dude's got big balls. But y'all remember that Hinata Moicano won that fifth round, right? So when people sit here and say, oh, all RDA has got to do is take this into the championship rounds and he automatically wins, that's complete bullshit. What I think is if RDA is going to win this fight, he's got to get on top of his Eve and show off this credentialed black belt that he has. Because I believe, what is he, a third degree black belt or a fourth degree black belt? Someone let me know in the comments. But bottom line, let, let's say he's a second degree black belt. You do not want a guy like that on top of you. You do not want a guy like that dangling off your neck. You do not want a guy like that taking your back. So those are the areas of concern I have for Fazeev. But... Fazeev, according to the numbers, and we do have a pretty decent sample size, he's got 95% takedown defense. Now, you can make the argument, okay, the guys that have tried to take him down don't have, uh, you know, the same kind of um, takedown offense as a guy like RDA. But, I mean, maybe, maybe not. But bottom line, I like what I've seen from Fazeev in terms of the, the technique displayed on how he stuffs these takedowns and the one or two times he got taken down, he explodes back up. So I like that as well. Uh, John Gage made a comment saying, hold on, let me try to pull it up. He said, I think RDA took it easy on Moicano round five felt bad. Dude, listen, that's narrative talk, man. You're, t you're telling me that when we're like, there's six figure swings, you lose that fight. You're missing out on an extra six figures. You mean to tell me that RDA was like, nah, I'm going to let you win this round off me and potentially <laughs> risk losing the other half of my paycheck, like in front of millions of people watching across the world in a sold out arena? Like, dude, I, I, I don't buy that. That's narrative talk, man. I think that RDA, what actually happened was he actually slowed down from whooping Moicano's ass, which is actually something you see a lot. Like, we're going to talk about the, um, What's the name of the dude that's fighting uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov? Douglas De Silva De Andrade. When he fought Morozov, when he fought Morozov, Morozov slowed down from whooping um, De Andrade's ass. It wasn't that Morozov felt bad for him. Morozov gassed himself out from whooping the dude. And I think that's exactly what happened with RDA. He gassed out from whooping a dude. So, again, back to the talk. Oh, all RDA's got to do is get this in the championship rounds and he wins. Well, let me remind you, for the millionth time, a guy that took a fight on one day short notice 
one day short notice. And I know I like to exaggerate. I know I like to be sarcastic. I know I like to be entertaining for the fans, but I'm not joking. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not, you know, when I say that, boy, Kano took, uh, flew into, what was it, Vegas, took the fight on like Thursday, weighed in on Friday. Like, come on, man. And he still won that fifth round. So I think that this whole narrative about Fazeev slowing down and RDA being the cardio machine. Look, I think both these guys got good cardio. It's just when you fight with the kind of explosiveness that Fazeev have, Fazeev, Fazeev has, when you have the fast twitch, just you're going to naturally slow down. But to what extent? Again, this is not Alex Hernandez who after round one, nine times out of ten, is going to look for a way out. This is not like Tyron Woodley where after he, you know, whiffs on a few big bombs, he's going to back himself into the fence and absolutely throw nothing. Like, Rafael Fazeev is still going to be throwing the third, fourth, and fifth round if we get there. If we get there. Because when back to this explosive talk, let's talk about the technique, man. I mean, the reason that Rafael Fazeev is able to get off on these three, four, five strike combinations in these fights. I mean, obviously credit to his his Muay Thai background, so many Muay Thai fights, but the kind of athlete he is, the kind of strength and conditioning this guy puts in. I mean, people make it seem like this guy's skipping his runs, like this guy's skipping his road work, and that's just total bullshit. Look at the shape he's in, and the reason he's able to fight at those toward paces is credit to the road work he's putting in. So... I think the cardio talk is so overblown, but obviously fatigue makes cowards of us all, like Cain Velasquez once said, and hashtag free Cain Velasquez. But to get a guy like Rafael Fazeev fatigued, I don't think it's as simple as, oh, let's just get, let's just get past the first two rounds. He's going to fatigue. No, I think it's a matter of let's take a third or fourth degree black belt like RDA. Let's get on top of Fazeev. Let's grind him out. Let's make him work to try to get back up. That's how you drain the cardio of an explosive guy like, uh, like Rafael Fazeev. So if Rafael Dos Anjos is able to mix in these takedowns and not just a takedown or two where, where Fazeev pops back up, I'm talking about takedowns with top control. I'm talking about passing guard. I'm talking about getting full, man. I'm talking about things of those nature. If we get to that point, then okay. Then maybe then the you know the gas tank of Fazeev, of Fazeev will start to dwindle. But let me say something else, man. When you're absorbing the kind of strikes that a guy like Fazeev is going to throw at you, How's your cardio going to be? Because you look at the Bobby Green fight, and one thing we always like to talk about with Bobby Green, obviously his output's great, but what about the dude's defense? Um, what about the fact that this guy, you know, he fights with his hands down for a reason because he relies on his head movement a lot. And not only will it slow you down missing on a lot of shots, but that's also the reason that, you know, Bobby Green doesn't eat a lot of clean strikes and is the reason he's able to maintain his amazing pace throughout these these usually three round fights and he's got the high output he has. So you just got to put context in it into everything. You cannot just label these things so black and white. And there's so many other examples of gassers after round one. And I just don't think Fazeev is one of them, man. I mean, how many decisions has he won in the UFC last fight? He went out there and got a third round knockout. I, I just think it's bullshit. And then also, like I mentioned, RDA lost that fifth round against the guy who took a fight on a week notice. And then the fight prior against Paul Felder, I scored at 50-45. I was shocked that one judge <laughs> scored it for uh, Felder. Was it uh, was it uh, Saul Diamato? Was it uh, my girl Adelaide Bird? But either way, one judge had it 48-47 Felder, which was insane. 
Um, but again, Felder took that fight on Tuesday of fight week. Look, as a man, oh my God, that's so respectable. What a gangster. But to sit here and act like he was in fight shape, like, yeah, I know he was doing some triathlons and stuff, but the, the dude wasn't sparring. The dude wasn't in fight shape. His weight was low because of the triathletes, uh, the triathlons he was doing and all that stuff. But uh, the guy wasn't getting ready for a fight. So now uh, RDA is fighting a guy who is fully prepared for war, unlike the last two guys he's fought. So that being said, I took Rafael Fiziev at minus 200 and I risked five units to win 2.5 units. Currently, it's minus 230, so I already beat the line by 30 cents. feel like I did my job there. Kind of last, I, I feel like for nine times out of 10, I get the best of the line. You know, last week with Ian Gary, got it minus 155. He closed, what, minus 200, minus two something, maybe even minus 185. That's good for me. And then the O'Malley fight, you know, I got my opinion on that. Um, I, my opinion is not, you know, to discredit Pedro. My opinion is more so I, I felt like I saw what direction that fight was going in. But we can talk about the Pedro and, and Sean O'Malley fight a, a different time. So getting the best of the line is always important. But now I need Fazeev to go out there and perform. And I think he is going to perform, man. I think that the speed difference is absolutely huge in this fight. I think his takedown defense is on point. I think he's super explosive. If he does get taken down, he can pop back up. But there's obvious concerns. RDA is a grizzled vet. RDA, what is this, his 31st UFC fight? I'd vote for this guy to be a Hall of Famer. So, yeah, obviously these vet tactics that he has – Every now and then, a legend will come out there, put on that vet lesson, and remind you why he's a guy who stuck around the UFC as long as he has, why he's a former defending UFC champion. So RDA's got my respect, but back to the talk we've been saying. You look at the rankings right now. You know, you got um, Dos Anjos is number seven in the world. Tony Ferguson's number nine in the world. And by the way, Tony beat RDA back in the day with salsa dancing in that fight. Connor's 12 in the world. Uh, uh, Dan Hooker's 13 in the world. Like, you mean to tell me these guys like Jalen Turner, these guys like Demir Ismagulov, Guram Kutateladze, Armin Sarukian, Mateus Gamrot, Rafael Fazeev, you mean to tell me these guys aren't about to come out here and usher them out the rankings? Because I think this is another example of that. So I'm going Rafael Fazeev to, you know, look, yeah, he's nine years younger, this and that. Okay, maybe that's something. But to me, the thing that stands out the most is the speed difference. I think the speed difference is massive here and also the output difference as well. Uh, but there's obviously these vet tactics you got to be worried about. That body kick of RDA from the southpaw stance is always there. It's just that I don't think it's going to be a case like the Pettis fight where Pettis is backing up the whole time, man. I think that there's going to be, you know, a three, four, five strike combination waiting for RDA if he decides to, you know, blast off that that uh, that body kick from the southpaw stance. RDA's got some good hands too. I think Fiziev's got better hands. I think Fiziev just again back to that speed difference it's huge and speed kills like they like to say so it goes back to what we've been kind of talking about since the beginning of this breakdown this whole does he gas out does he not gas out yeah look i'll concede that he slows down a little bit but people exaggerate the fuck out of that man again that is the bobby green fight is all they it was all people have to say and it's like he threw 79 strikes in that round like that is not an example of someone slowing down to the point where they're vulnerable the brad riddell fight let's look at the numbers in the brad riddell fight 
So again, another fight that went less than three rounds and uh, Fiziev attempted 123 strikes. Like you love to see people that can throw, um, you know, in the, uh, in the hundreds in terms of total strikes in three round fights. And this fight didn't even go the full three. And as far as his output was concerned, so here the output was slightly lower in the third round, but we got to put context that the fight ended two minutes and 20 seconds into, into the third round. So that that's less than half of a round. Now had the fight gone the full, um, you know, the full uh, three round distance and not ended in a knockout. He was on pace to attempting close to 60 strikes that round, which again is more than he threw in round one is about the same as he threw in round two. So I just don't buy this narrative of, you know, Fazeev being this gassing machine and this and that. I think that's I think that's total bullshit. I think the bigger concern is a third or fourth degree black belt getting on top of you, passing to that full mount, taking your back, establishing dominant positions, making you work to get back up. Those are the kind of things that drain a gas tank, no matter what kind of shape you're in. So that's what I'm most worried about. But I think an explosive and, you know, it's so easy to use words like technical, but the guy is fucking technical and he's training with the right people. You know, I saw saw, I saw a couple of people post about how he was drilling his takedowns with uh, his takedown defense with Evloyev. And, yeah, that's cool. And uh, I saw my boy Andrew Gombas <laughs> comment a really funny thing. He said, well, Maurice Green is training with John Jones, which I thought was a hilarious comment. You know, I love to make some hilarious comments myself, but. I mean, Maurice, tra Maurice Green could literally train with anybody in the world. And, like, you know, what is it going to make a difference? But when we're dealing with the athlete of the caliber of Fiziev, here's where it might help. Not to mention, I just like the technique I see from him in all areas of the game. So, again, I laid uh, five units on Fiziev to win 2.5 units at minus 200, currently minus 230. So we beat this closing line as of now, unless uh, someone lays a huge bet on RDA. But uh, I think that I think I'm on the right side here. Let's find out what happens. Let's see. You know, I'm not always right. You know, I've been wrong a lot. I'll be wrong again. But I think this is a spot I'm going to be right on. So let's see what happens. I'm going Fiziev to defeat the absolute legend of the sports, uh, a Hall of Famer. If I get to vote on the ballot, I'm voting for RDA. I mean, a guy I grew up watching. I mean, let me just like tell you all this, how far back I go with RDA. There was a fight he had with, um, was it Terry Edom? Let me, uh, let me, let me pull this up to, to make sure. I believe he might've armbarred him back in Abu Dhabi the night that uh, BJ Penn lost his belt to Frankie Edgar. Let me just confirm that that was the fight. So, was it was that the fight, y'all? Uh, was it was it Terry Adam versus RDA? Who did he fight at, at UFC one twelve? Hold on. Yeah, Terry Adam. Okay, April tenth, two thousand ten. I watched uh, RDA versus Terry Adam in my grandmother's. Uh, you know, rest in peace to my grandmother at her house in Mexico, and. I was watching it on like some shitty stream cutting in and out and I was telling my buddy, you know how I just tweeted out that my buddy uh, was at the uh, World Series of Poker playing uh, with uh, with Colby Covington and I actually had him on the podcast. It's actually pinned to my to my uh, Twitter. Really cool guy. Prince Ali. If y'all if y'all remember that. But anyways, um, 
Terry Edom was the up and coming prospect at the time. And I thought he was going <laughs> to have something for RDA and RDA's performance actually absolutely blew me away that night. And that's when I first took note and to see his rise has just been a true pleasure to watch. So RDA tip the cap. You are the man, but you know, it's a, uh, that circle of life like they like to talk about a lion king man so yeah i'm going uh rafael fiziv as a pick and as a bet here so now i'm going to pick up uh some uh i'm going to answer some questions y'all have before i go to the next fight so let's see what y'all got for me everybody here do me a huge favor smash the like button hit the subscribe button really really appreciate y'all so <laughs> Andrew said, not sure why you didn't lead off breaking down the actual main event, Sherman versus Vandera. That's funny. Um, okay, let's see. Okay, Rip and Picks MMA said, is this going over or under 3.5? I don't fucking know, man. All I know is I bet on Fiziv to win this fight, so win it by any means necessary. I don't give a shit if it's a first-round knockout. I don't care if it's a greasy split, whatever. Just win. Um you know, we got the best of the line by over 30 cents at this point. So go out there, do your job, get me a dub. Um, but I personally am predicting a little chin checking. I, I think uh, I think he might actually come out here and be the first man since the great Eddie Alvarez to knock out uh, Rafael Dos Anjos and the second man since Jeremy Stevens. A little, a little history there to, to do so. Um Big Bird said, Fiziev seems like the type of dude to still fight when he's tired. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not going to see any quit out of this guy as far as I can tell so far. So Capone the Ghost said, how are you, my boy? I'm doing fucking amazing, man. I appreciate you asking. Hope you're doing well as well. Here we go. JC, I always have to answer these questions. Did you and Shaq break up? Nah, uh, Shaq left the show, man. Uh, go back and listen to the Santos versus Ankle Leave uh, breakdown. He uh, he explained why he, why he was leaving the show. But we're cool. We talk all the time about the Braves, about fights, and you know I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, but uh, the show must go on, and uh, the show has been going on. And I appreciate y'all sticking with me, showing me support, showing me love, and I'm here to entertain and give you guys the best info that I can. We were up on the year, um, you know, bouncing back from my worst year, hoping to have my best year this year, uh, and we're on track for that. So I'm just happy to be here and still doing what I love, you know, talking fights with you guys. So thank you all for all your support. Um, Okay, anyways, let's see uh, what this co-main event is. So, co-main event in the middleweight division. We got Caio Bohio. He's 11-1, taking on, and he's representing Brazil, taking on Armen Petrosian, who's 7-1, representing Armenia. And currently, they got it, Caio Bohio, minus 230. The comeback on Armand Petrosian is plus 190. So, this is an interesting fight because... I bet uh, Kyle Bohio his last fight at plus 110 against um, Omar Gadzi. Uh, what's his name? Gadzi Omar Gadziev, or as some of us like to refer it, um, Fradzi Omar Fradziev, you know, and, and that was a great matchup for Bohio. Should have never been plus 110 there. But now he's got a much tougher opponent and he's minus 230. So let's get this. He was plus 110 against a lesser opponent. He's minus 230 against a much better opponent here. So 
this is a classic example of recency bias. Look, I'm not saying Bohio Bo ain't about to come out here and win this fight, but I'm just saying Armin Petrosian's no slouch. And in that fight with Armin Petrosian and uh, and uh, RoboCop, look, I don't care who you score that fight for because it could have gone this way, it could have gone that way, whatever. But we can all agree that was a hard-fought, gritty battle that answered a lot of questions. I mean, people were saying that all uh robocop had to do was just take this dude down one time the fight was going to be over shortly after and that wasn't the case armin petrosian survived the bad spots and for a guy that's got a reputation for being this you know former world uh this former uh kickboxing stud to survive the spots on the mat against a black belt like robocop was badass and not to mention the biggest struggles I've actually seen Petrosian, despite his kickboxing background, have actually been on the feet. You know, I've, he's been knocked out before. He's been dropped before. He's gotten tagged up multiple times. But this guy's got some serious heart. This guy's got some serious balls. This guy comes to fight. And I'm actually very curious where the odds open for this fight. Because I'm curious what Vegas was thinking. Because minus 230 kind of seems a bit... Oh shit! Vegas was thinking minus three hundred on Bohio. Look, don't get me, don't 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 get it twisted. Bohio is extremely talented. This is a guy who you know trains his jujitsu with Damian Maya. This is a guy who's kind of got a, a distance, unorthodox, almost karate like style on the feet. Now, granted, with that said, fights with his hands down. A guy like Petrosian could totally capitalize on that. So. I think both these guys got very bright futures in the sport. And honestly, at the current price, you know, you see that plus 190. I do think it's a dogger pass situation. You know, maybe my my official pick is, is going to be Bohio just because I think he's a bit more well-rounded. It's just that back to this whole recency bias on the line. When I got plus 110 against a much lesser opponent last fight, why am I going to lay minus 230 against a much better uh, against like an actual prospect. Petrosian is a prospect. You know, the Gazi Omar Gazi, I, re I, I, I respect him, but, you know, I, I don't see, maybe I'm wrong, I don't see things panning out, you know, this time next year and so on and so forth, whereas Petrosian, Bohio, two years from now, possibly they could scratch the rankings one day. So Bohio, I think he's got more ways to win the fight. I think he can be competitive on the feet, and I think if he's got to go back to that black belt in jiu-jitsu, he can absolutely do that. Um, but he's got to be careful here. Petrosian's extremely tough. Petrosian can dig deep in fights, and if Bohio maybe has this explosive first round where he takes him down, he takes his back, Maybe Bohio is going to be the one that's huffing and puffing in the second and third round. And that's where, you know, Petrosian can really start to warm up and start to really ease into his game. You know, I kind of view him as a, as a bit of a slow starter. So that's kind of how I would see Petrosian winning the fight, kind of take, you know, assuming no one gets caught and this gets to play out, it would have to be a case where he kind of survives some bad spots early and then kind of takes over late. Uh, but for Bohio, you know, he just needs to keep Petrosian guessing the whole time. He needs to make him think about, okay, when's this guy going to come through with these unorthodox kind of karate attacks? And when's he going to, you know, mix in uh, the entry for that takedown, try to take me down? And then from there, what happens? Are there going to be spots like the Roboco RoboCop fight where if Ohio gets in similar spots, maybe he's able to capitalize? I'm not sure, but 
it does give me confidence in Petrosian knowing that he survived against a serious black belt uh, when it hit the mat against some very precarious spots that would have given a lot lesser men, you know, a very tough time. Um, so I think both these guys are improving at a rapid rate. I'd say at these odds, it's dog or pass pure pick. I'll, I'll lean Bohio, but Back to, you know, you know, and I feel like I've been repeating myself a lot on a lot of points on this podcast, and maybe I'm going to continue to do so. But, you know, I loved laying plus 110 on Bohio, you know, against a much lesser opponent last time. That was great. But minus 230 now against what I think is a real prospect showdown. Yeah, I just I, I just can't do it, man. Um, yeah, pure pick. OK, but betting wise, I, I do view this as a dog or pass situation, but I'll, I'll pick a. I'll pick uh, Kyle Bohio to win the fight. Featured bout in the Bantamweight division. Everyone do, do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe. Afterwards, leave me a comment. Share all that stuff. You guys don't know how much it means to me, and you don't know how much it helps out the podcast. So I truly appreciate y'all doing that, and thank you all for being here with me. So Saeed Nurmagomedov representing Russia. He's 15-2. and two. Taking on Douglas Silva D'Andrade, who's twenty-eight and four, representing Brazil. But that's not his. That that's not his full name. You know, on half the battle, when we talk about Douglas Silva D'Andrade, we got to say his, his. We got to say the full name. So it's uh oh fuck. You know, tap topology doesn't have his full name. Hold on, let's see what Wikipedia is saying. So hold on one second. Damn, they don't they don't have his fucking full name either because it's like Suglet, Douglas D Silva Silva D'Andrage, right? Like it's pretty pretty badass name. And I mean, you got to give Douglas D Silva Andrage a lot of credit to put together a twenty eight and four record in MMA. Hey, this guy's got my respect. You look how he's built. You know, for a thirty seven year old man, you know, I'm thirty two. I hope when I'm thirty seven that I, I have, you know, half the physique this man has, you know, he's definitely taking his Flintstone vitamins. He's definitely eating his fruits and vegetables. So guy takes great care of himself. And I mean, the only losses he's had in, in the UFC are all respectable. Zubera to at 145 pounds. And then when he dropped the 35s, Rob Font, top 10 guy, Piotr Yan, former champ, Leroy Murphy. I mean, that kid's undefeated in the UFC. And he even has a win over Marlon Chito Vera. Now, granted, if they ever ran it back, I don't think that'd be the case. But he caught him at the right time, uh, you know, four years ago and, and did his thing. And then Sergey Morozov weathered a serious storm, like a, ser a serious storm, like the kind of storm where we thought that uh, we thought that De Silva was out in that fight. And the dude fought back tooth and nail, showed his grit, showed his heart and then showed that patented uh, he, he's got that one hitter quitter, my man. So, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was a beautiful comeback to see. Um, but here against Saeed, man, one thing I love about Saeed and a lot of people forget is that, you know, he used to fight at flyweight. So his speed for this division at Bantamweight is already going to be up there. He's an extremely fast guy and he can do it all. You know, he's, uh, I know he's got the last name Nurmagomedov and don't get me, don't, and don't get me wrong. He can grapple too, but what this guy's mainly known for is his explosive 
kicking game, man. This guy can spin. Y'all saw what he did to Ricardo Ramos. Like, holy shit. The Cody Stamen fight, I, you know, I've seen Stamen lose some fights, but I've never seen Stamen get treated like that. Like, even in the Aljamain Sterling fight, Cody Stamen won the first round and, uh, you know, kind of fatigued a little bit. And uh, Aljo got him in the, what's it called? The Silivuan. I forgot. I forgot how to pronounce the first word. The something stretch. The, the, it starts with the S. What was it called? The Sullivan stretch? I, I fucking forget. But bottom line, y'all know what I'm talking about. That that uh, knee bar, like when you take the dudes back and, and then knee bar them from there, um, which is something that going back to the last fight, that Petrosian actually escaped against uh, Robocop, interestingly enough. But bottom line, uh, the way that Saeed, um, you know, handled uh, a guy like Cody Stamen, like that, that's something to... To definitely take note of so here against douglas de silva de andrage i mean i don't think it's going to be a first minute knockout or anything like that it's going to be a hard fought battle it's just that i think that the speed difference is uh, is massive here for uh saeed nurmagomedov and i think that if he does hurt de silva kind of like morozov did i think he will be able to capitalize on that but i also think that there's takedowns there to to be had as well so i think that we're looking at uh a very, very good prospect here in Saeed Nurmagomedov, you know, only 30 years old. So he's starting to, you know, starting to slowly creep up into his prime. And I think that this is a time where he can get there and scratch the rankings. So I like Saeed Nurmagomedov to come out here and shine in his featured bout spot against an established, respected veteran in Douglas Silva DeAndrage. All right, let me see if y'all got any questions for me before I move on to shit. We're going from Jared Vandera versus Chase Sherman to Cynthia Calvillo versus Nina Nunes to maybe I should just talk about Ronnie Lawrence uh, versus Saeed uh, Yacoub next. Like, sh should we do that? Um, but let me see. Uh, Big Bird said, how do you feel about John Annick stressing about his job after hearing Shaq's commentary in the, <laughs> in the Gore versus Prince Ellery fight? That's funny um capone said if you need a good co-host hit me up uh g would be a pleasure hey i mean anybody that's interested in in talking with me on here all you got to do is just send me a clip of you talking fights just so i can see what you're all about because i i get a lot of requests and you know some dudes i'll just be like okay cool yeah just send me a video of you talking fights and then all of a sudden they don't want to send me a clip anymore like i can't just blindly let someone on the show that i've never heard before i you know i want to know what i'm getting into but if you want to send me a clip of you talking fights i'm more more than welcome to uh to check it out and, and see what's up and i and i appreciate your support of the show as well my boy renee said i uh, watched you on your worst year and watching you on your best year let's get it i appreciate that man you know listen i've been around this game a long time i believe Am I six and one on years or seven one on years? I don't know. But bottom line, this is a long-term game, and I actually preach the long-term game. How many times do you see these guys? They have one losing years. They they delete their account. They come back with a new name. They, you know, they they not just delete their account. They delete their betting record and start off with a new one and do all these things. You you'll never see me do some shit like that, man. Like I truly am in this for the long haul. So there's going to be ups and downs when you do this as long as I have and. The most important thing is to learn from your mistakes, stay humble, and try to keep refining the process, try to keep evolving, and try to try to 
keep being positive, not just in terms of the numbers, but in terms of your mindset. You know, if, you know, the one year I had that sucked 2021, not to make any excuses, but the reality was that was the time during the lockdowns. You know, it was a very dark time in my life, you know, and I think the results uh, reflected on that. Um, but and also there was a little time there where I was touting and I fucking hated every single second of it because it just took all the fun away. It was too much pressure and it was bad pressure. I, see, I love to thrive under pressure in in situations that are healthy for me, but this was a pressure that was just ugly. So now I'm just back to being me and I think the results are showing again. So I really appreciate you saying that, man. Um, and then let me see anything else. Patty said, how do we tip you? Uh, well, if you really feel so inclined to do so in the in the show description, there's the the PayPal and the uh, Bitcoin. I prefer PayPal just because the Bitcoin like nowadays it shit ain't worth it. Um, you, you never know if you're going to get it. Oh, B Rizzo. I appreciate you saying that the Suliev stretch. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, but B Patty, back to you. Um, yeah, there's the PayPal there, but again, only if you feel inclined to do that, you know, any, anything you would send would just be sent to, you know, improve the quality of the show. So it means a lot that you would do something like that for me. Um, okay. So my boy, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but he said, fuck the frauds. Yeah. Fuck the frauds. Capone said, can I send you a clip on Instagram? Yeah. Send it anywhere. Instagram, whatever, man. Okay. A Andrew said, all right, let's, let, let's, let's carry on with the show. He said, Dan, we need the expert opinion on the depressing fights. All right. All right. But before we do that, let's talk about one really fucking good fight that we have to go all the way down in the bottom to. Let's talk about this opening card fight between and, and all 70 plus of you smash that like button for me. If you're not already subscribed, please subscribe. Like, let's grow the channel. It's just me. No big websites. No nothing. Just me and you. And let's have these great conversations, man. And I'm just here to entertain you guys and give you good info. So I truly, genuinely appreciate you guys. And I truly, genuinely appreciate just being here and doing talking about what we love. So thank you guys so much for that. Now, prelim, first prelim bout, 135-pound division. Ronnie Lawrence is 8-1. and one. Taking on Saeed Yakub Kakramanov, who's nine and two, representing Uzbekistan. Wait, let me just make sure I got that right. I don't want to fuck that up and have a bunch of people coming at me for that. Yeah, Uzbekistan. Okay, okay. You know I got that right. And currently they got it. Ronnie Lawrence minus one forty. The comeback on Saeed Yakub is plus 120 so again i kind of feel like i did my job there i moved in on ronnie lawrence at uh at minus 120 so i've already beat it by 20 cents let's see where it closes at and there's a lot to say about this fight so i know you've heard a lot of people talk about the numbers of ronnie lawrence and i don't think that that's something that should be overlooked i mean this guy's numbers are absolutely gorgeous like to a point where like he might be something special like strikes landed per minute close to four strikes absorbed uh per minute 1.5 like do you understand what i'm saying striking accuracy 57 percent takedown takedown accuracy 78 percent takedown average per 15 minutes nine over nine takedowns average per 15 minutes 
a hundred percent takedown defense. Like, are these not the kind of numbers that bring a tear to your eyes? Like, just in terms of how beautiful they are. Like, and we have a, a bit of a sample size. Like, these fights have been extended. It's not like you know some like dude who had like two two minute fights, and you know the stats are like, oh, he, he lands eight per minute, but only absorbs zero point six. Like, no, we got like extended fights here. We got sample sizes, and. When you look at that last fight against Mana Martinez, if you can go out there in a UFC fight and land six takedowns and then and land three knockdowns in a UFC fight, like is that just not gorgeous? Is that just not beautiful? Is that just not the exact kind of guy you want to bet on long term? Like, let's say he loses this fight. I'm still gonna, you know, assuming the lion and the opponent and this and that is good next time. I'm gonna bet him next time. Like, this is a guy you bet on 10 times. You're gonna come out on the right side of the coin, assuming you're not laying like minus 500, minus 700, stuff like that, but minus 120. After these performances, like, come on, man. Like, I had a jump all over this. I'm going to talk about Saeed Yacoub here in a second, but let me uh, talk about Ronnie Lawrence. 12 takedowns landed on Contender Series. Eight landed in his debut. Six landed in the last fight, plus three knockdowns. And it's not just the fact that he landed 12 in, in the Contender Series fight. He attempted 17 takedowns. It's not just the fact that he landed eight takedowns in the in the UFC debut. He attempted nine takedowns. It's not just the fact that he landed six takedowns in, in the last fight against Mana. He attempted seven. Like, again, what we've been talking about over and over, and I'm going to stress this point, just like I talked about the whole thing about these, you know, up-and-comers ushering out the old guard. We got to talk about these guys that can just attempt takedown after takedown after takedown and not get discouraged. I'm talking about the Bryce Mitchells. At a higher level, we're talking about the Islam Makachevs. We're, even Armin Saruki, and despite the loss in the last fight, the guy has got a very bright future in the sport. Bilal Muhammad, there's so many examples of that. And Ronnie Lawrence, for a young prospect who's trying to establish himself in the UFC, he is one of those guys like you might stuff the first second or third but you ain't gonna stuff the fourth fifth and sixth and with a lot of people like we're gonna talk about the cody brundage fight you watch the cody brundage fight against uh willie knight and you know you got that first takedown but when that second takedown got stuffed you know he checked out he he, he wasn't there anymore but now with uh with a guy like like ronnie lawrence like you might stuff his first five and the guy ain't the guy ain't gonna stop shooting but let's talk about him getting dropped by mana martinez in that third round because obviously you gotta address that firstly mana martinez is a fucking hard hitter i mean there's a kid named ricky tercios who's fighting on this card uh, y'all should pull up what happened to him and Mana Martinez fought. Mana Martinez slept him bad. Mana Martinez sent Ricky Tercios to the shadow realm. Mana Martinez is a very hard hitter. And also, it, didn't he catch him with like a spinning back fist? Like, that's a, that's a low percentage type thing. But what I like most is, guess what Ronnie Lawrence did when he got dropped? So he, he gets dropped, gets back, up, gets back up, and then, you know, gets caught with another shot. Now, he could have went to his back, covered up, let the ref intervene. And even though that would have sucked, I, I'd still think he, he'd have a bright future in the sport. But the fact that this guy gets back up and then he goes and lands another takedown on Amanda Martinez and ends the round on top. Like, 
how can you not love the heart, the grit, the relentlessness of this kid, Ronnie Lawrence? Like, for someone who is only what what's it what's it what, what's the kid's record? He is eight and one. He's had less than ten pro fights, and you're seeing these kind of little glimpses and signs like early on in his career like that's something you have to take note of and another thing before i forget you know obviously one thing i like to look at, i like to look at when i watch these contender series fights is not just the fight but afterwards i like hearing dana white's reasoning about why he did or didn't sign someone and for the most part he's right about his assessment on a lot of these guys he said ronnie lawrence is special and guess what's guess what ended up happening the next two fights he looked special another thing i got a buddy who you know is a 21 year old phenom um who in terms of kickboxing who's just like this this badass kickboxer who's 21 who is you know won titles in in thailand won titles in france and just a fucking absolute stud anyways he went down to sanford mma to do some training for a couple of weeks and my buddy um i don't want to name his name because what i'm about to say like you know some of the other fighters might be like yo what the fuck but like let's just put it like this my boy well i'll just say i'll just say his his name walt i'm not going to say his full name but my boy walt so he goes down to sanford mma not just in sanford anytime you ask him about the um mma mma guys that he spars with he's always like hey, bro this, this guy stand up is trash like you know this, this like like he, when i asked him who stood out at sanford mma the answer wasn't gilbert Dorino. the answer wasn't ian gary the answer wasn't you know kamara uzma the answer was ronnie lawrence he was like yo this is a guy who is special and for my boy walt to say that who you know is hesitant to give anybody credit about anything and he's saying ronnie lawrence is special I, I i'm taking note despite all the other amazing reasons i've given you for you know making my point about this kid being special so i just think he's the real deal i took him minus 120 uh 2.4 units to win two units beat the line again now i just need him to do his job now let's talk about his opponent because i haven't talked about him yet so saeed yakub kakramanov representing uzbekistan guy with a lot of pride he is a bit longer for the weight class you know five foot eight near 70 inch reach and he, he's what i consider a dangerous guy he's an opportunistic finisher you know from range you got to look out for those long strikes man i mean you start to get a little lazy on a guy like saeed yakub you know a guy who's got a, a reputation for a grappling background but he can he can clip some fools too not to mention you tie up in the clinch with him he's got a sneaky hip toss a sneaky judo throw and you shoot a sloppy takedown on a guy like Saeed Yacoub and he's got a nasty guillotine series right there waiting for you and y'all know I'm a huge fan of that guillotine uh for sure so uh yeah so Saeed's just a dangerous opportunistic guy you gotta look out for him but the thing that I've noticed in Saeed's fights is that he slows down you know down the stretch you know that second round against Trevin Jones uh you know Trevin Jones is a guy who kind of has a bit of that tyron woodley thing going on barely throws any strikes but when he does throw strikes like goddamn, do they land hard right and uh he uh even got the full amount on a guy like saeed and i just think that 
when Ronnie Lawrence starts to be able to hit these takedowns, like I said, the first few might get stuffed, but when we're talking, when the pressure gets to the point where it's that fourth, fifth, and sixth takedown, that's when I think that the turning point in this fight is going to come, and that's when I think that Ronnie Lawrence is going to grind out um, a guy like Saeed Yacoub. Just has to be careful of these opportunistic things like that guillotine, like the long strikes, but I just saw ronnie lawrence go out there land you know three knockdowns against a very heavy hitter i'm curious to see what other uh you know leaps he's made in his striking you know he's a guy that saeed's more stationary whereas ronnie lawrence does a lot of circling and when it's his time to blitz like boy does he blitz he can go body head too i'm curious to see you know what kind of improvements he's made there i want to see what kind of success he can have on the feet with uh with saeed yakub but Bottom line, I think he grinds out Saeed Yacoub. I think he cashes his, this bet. My bet and my pick is Ronnie Lawrence, and I think that he's a guy y'all got to look out for. I think either this time next year or in two time in two years from now, you're going to be seeing Ronnie Lawrence in the rankings. And don't and don't sleep on Saeed Yacoub going forward. He's a very tough guy. Fights with a lot of pride. I think he'll win some UFC fights for sure, but uh, not j- just not Saturday night. So I, I got Ronnie Lawrence pick and bet. Now, let's go back to some of these other fights y'all wanted to hear me talk about. So, all y'all, do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe. So, heavyweight division, we got Jared Vandera. He's 12-8, and eight, taking on Chase Sherman, who's 15-10. and 10. Currently, they got it. Jared Vandera, minus 210. The comeback on Chase Sherman is plus 175. I just can't get behind laying that kind of chalk on someone unreliable like Jared Vandera. Look, he's a big boy. He's tough. Volume can sometimes be there. Obviously, you don't want a guy like that on top of you. And then with Chase Sherman, what he's best known for, he's got a very solid leg-kicking game. And from time to time, he'll do some impressive stuff standing. It's just that, historically speaking, is now here's a, a person you can criticize for their cardio. Y'all want to talk about, if y'all think that Fiziv has shitty cardio, let, let me hear y'all's opinion on, on Chase Sherman, man, because he's the guy you can just rely on to lose those late rounds. But And, and, and another thing I want to say is he came back to the UFC, you know, after his bare-knuckle boxing stint. I thought he looked pretty decent that first fight. But then he had that USADA violation, and since then, I just have not seen the same guy. I wonder if he was using certain things to try to help out that cardio or whatever the case may be. This is speculation. Don't quote me on that. That's just you know some thoughts I might have or this or that. It just hasn't looked good. Not that Vandera has either. You won't catch me dead laying no minus 210 on Vandera. It's just one of those, if I want a coin flip, then I can make the argument for it being a dog or pass. It's just that. I want to quote my buddy Sun Tzu, who talked about how fading Chase Sherman is one of the most profitable investments you can make in not just all MMA, but in all of in all of any market. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Vandera, but like pick, not a bet, not confident, this price, like what has he done to be a price like this? It's more so Sherman's looked as bad as he has. Let's let's go Vandera for the pick, but I mean, come on, man, come come on, son, you you won't catch me laying no minus two something on that. Cynthia Calvillo taking on Nina Nunes. Cynthia's nine and four taking on Nina Anzaroff, if y'all remember, who's ten and seven. Currently, they got it. 
Hold on one second. Currently, they got it. Cynthia minus 150. The comeback on Nina is plus 130. So, uh, you know, both these ladies have had decent careers, and I just think it's simply a case where now they're kind of at the twilights of their careers, and it's just about who can implement the game that they were once able to implement back in the day, right? Like Cynthia Calvillo used to be a case where she'd take your back. Chances are she's choking you out. She'd get on top of you. Chances are you're not getting up the rest of that round. And there were times where her striking was improving as well. And that Jessica I fight, but man, these last few, yeah, I get might be a matchup thing, but like a few years back, you would have never seen Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, you know, I hate to use the word quit, but you know, not not answer the bell between rounds you would have never seen that i mean cynthia calvillo was always known for having that like carlos condit uh scowl like before her fights and she was just this mean latina warrior and and she still is it's just you know she's taken a couple beatings she's I just question the commitment. But then on the other side, I question the commitment too. I mean, Nina, you know, just had a baby, you know, I'm not sure if she's still interested in this anymore, but back when she was doing her thing, she had a good calf kick game. She had some underrated takedown defense and she'd be able to go out there and actually even against Tatiana Suarez, she won around. I think she might've been the only person in the UFC to win around against Tatiana Suarez. And not only that, um, had a lot of solid performances, was able to dig deep in fights. It's just about that. Does she want it anymore? Does Cynthia want it anymore? I don't know. If both of them were at their best, I'd go with Cynthia. So I'll go with Cynthia, but I, I ain't laying, I ain't laying that price, man. I'm, I'm good. So I'll, I'll sit back and enjoy it. And y'all, y'all have your fun on it. Now, next up in the 155 pound division, we got a matchup between Michael Johnson. He's 20 and 17, taking on Jamie Malarkey, who is 14 to 5, representing the Aussies down under. So currently they got it. Jamie Malarkey minus 240, the comeback on Michael Johnson's plus 200. So, yeah, another case where Michael Johnson might be a bit of a flake, but I was kind of surprised to see him plus 200 here, and this is a dogger pass situation in my eyes. Am I going to lay it? So it's like on one hand, you can take away the narrative, talk about how he can be untrustworthy and just look at the price, and the price is tempting because um, he opened minus 150. Vegas might know something here. And, you know, he's got – obviously, he's got the big speed advantage. It's just, you know, we don't want a situation where he's whooping on malarkey and – Malarkey gets on top of him and MJ can't get up. We don't want a situation where Malarkey takes his back and chokes him out. But if they stand and bang, I think the speed difference is going to be huge for me. Uh, I was about to say Manny Pacquiao. The reason I was about to say that is because um, Michael Johnson's nickname was Blackie because of his speed. I mean, and he's a guy you y'all already know he's got wins over Dustin Poirier, Edson Barboza. Um, Who's the, who's the other one? Tony Ferguson. Um, he's beat a lot of good, good guys in the sport. Knocked out Glayson Tebow back in the day. Like Michael Johnson's been around for a long time. He's an established vet. It's just about it is Jamie Malarkey, you know, hungry enough to make this happen. He's coming off a brutal one himself, man. Like, you know, has he taken off enough time to recover um, after the hellacious beating he took against Jalen Turner? Um, I don't know. Has his chin been properly rested? So. My boy, the 90 says this isn't a hundred, the 1-800 gambling problem, big pass fight. 
yeah, but like if it's plus 200 Michael Johnson and you you see that clear speed edge and you know you think that he's going to come out there and might have something for Malarkey, you know, maybe put a unit on Michael Johnson just to see what happens. It's just, you know, I'm worried about the same stunts I've been seeing for years, you know. A lot of these fights he's lost, I think he should have won. Um and uh yeah, so I don't know. I'll go Michael Johnson for the upset. Now, man, these next few fights are getting kind of brutal, y'all. So, hey, I appreciate all y'all being here with me for this, this last hour. Thank you guys very much. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe. Thank you all so much. So next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a match between Ayman Zahabi. He's 8-2, and two, representing Canada, taking on Ricky Tercios, who's 11-2. and two. And currently they got it. Ricky Tercio is minus 190. The comeback on Ayman Zahabi is plus 160. So I'm actually curious to see what these numbers say about these guys. Um, yeah, yeah, it's what I thought. You know, Ricky Tercios is kind of like a longer guy for uh, the Bantamweight division, you know, five foot nine with the 71 inch reach. Um, and he's one of these like kind of tough, gritty guys where like, you know, you might be able to take him down. You might be able to kind of bully him, but, like, you slow down on Ricky Tercios, and that's when he can kind of start uh, picking up the pace. He's kind of a dog out there. He's got some un unorthodox kicks, has a nice personality, you know, this and that. Um, but with with Eamon's a hobby, it's kind of hit and miss. It's kind of hot and cold because, like, he's had some really good moments in there. Obviously, the last fight against Draco definitely exposed him. Nice first-round knockout. But even the fight he lost against uh ricardo ramos i thought he was looking decent in that fight until he got caught in the fight prior against hedginaldo Vieira, you know i had, had a great game plan you know took care of him there the only fight he's actually truly looked bad in was the uh, vince morales fight which i think was a case coming off like a three-year layoff off a devastating knockout I was probably questioning things it's just about like is Eamon's a hobby all in or not like you know we, we just don't know that but i think that a lot of people are maybe a little bit too high on Ricky Tercio. So I think that, yeah, he's got a great personality. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. I think he's, you know, exciting and this and that. But I, I think, you know, if you're sitting here looking me in the eye with a straight face trying to act like he's some future top 15 guy, maybe I'm wrong, but I just disagree. You know, when I think of, you know, rising prospects that aren't quite in the rankings at the, the Bantamweight division, you know, I'm thinking about the Saeed Nurmagomedovs. Uh, oh, Jack Shore just got into the rankings. Umar just got into the rankings. Adrian Yanez just got in there. Like, I think those guys are, like, actual legit prospects at, at 35s where, obviously, I respect Tercios, but I, I just don't quite view it like that. You know, I saw Boston Salmon go out there soundly outboxing for three rounds. I saw... Um, Mana Martinez, the aforementioned guy we were talking about, one of the heaviest hitters, go out there and, and send him to the shadow realm in that first round. So it's just a thing where, you know, you slow down against a guy like Ricky Tercios, and, you know, he's a guy that, you know, will put it on you. But I think people, you know, they saw, you know, his personality on the Ultimate Fighter. You know, he's a nice guy. He's gritty. He's tough. So people like him a lot. But, I, I'm 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 not quite convinced. This fight is gonna have to tell me what the deal is. So, and then with Zahabi, it's like, does he have one foot in? Does he have one foot out? Is he 
Does he really give a shit? Because he's actually kind of skilled. Um, so this might be a controversial take. I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna pick Zahabi, but I, I think it might actually be a dogger pass situation. I think it might actually be a spot where take a one unit shot and see if Zahabi's got you know enough for this guy, but. It could also be a case where the volume just just racks up for Tercios and he's really able to pull away down the stretch. And he's just a hungrier, grittier guy. And and he is all in on the sport, whereas a hobby might not quite be. So so for that reason, you know, I do lean with Tercios. It's just I think people need to kind of pump the brakes in, in terms of uh, you know, the ceiling they have for for Tercios, you know, this is not Umar Nurmagomedov, this is not Adrian Yanez, this is not Saeed Nurmagomedov, who I consider those guys are the ones you should be touting as, you know, a, a big up upcoming prospects at 135. Now, <laughs> next up in the flyweight division, we got Antonina Shevchenko. She's nine and four, taking on Courtney Casey, who was ten and nine. Currently, they got it. Antonina minus one seventy. The comeback on Courtney's plus one forty five. <sighs> you know, I you know, I, you know, I ain't about to lay no minus one seventy on this on this Shevchenko. The other one, I'd love to lay minus one seventy on the other Shevchenko, but not not this one. Um, and then with Courtney Casey, it's like she's got skills, this and that, but like. How many times is she going to flop to her back? How many times is she going to make questionable decisions out there? Because she's actually dangerous at times. She can throw hands, and her submission game isn't half bad. And if she can get on top of Antonina, I think she can have some some success. Uh, some opportunistic submissions might be there. I just don't know where they're at mentally. I don't know how much either one wants to do this anymore, this and that. So I don't know. Maybe I'll go with Courtney Casey here for the upset, but... I, I would personally did that's a one eight hundred gambler fight. Sup with it said where's Shaq? How many times do I gotta answer that fucking question, man? <laughs> All right, for the last time, Shaq left the show. He gave his explanation on the Santos ankle leave breakdown first five minutes, and uh, I appreciate y'all being here supporting me. The show must go on. I wish Shaq the best, but uh, like. God damn, man. Like, yo, did y'all not watch his explanation? Like, if y'all care so much about that, go watch the explanations on the first five minutes of the Santos Anka Lee breakdown. Dude left the show. I didn't kick him out. So, but he's still my homie. You know, I still fuck with him. So, but you know, sometimes you got to move on to do other things. And I respect it. So, yeah, I wish him the best. But god damn, man. If y'all been watching me, like, y'all, y'all got to stop with that shit, bro. That's probably the last time I'm going to address it. So, yeah. Jonah Hill, cut, cut, cut. You know what I mean? Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Cody Brundage, who's 7-2, and two, taking on Treshawn Gore, who's 3-1. and one. He's 3-1, and one, but technically isn't he 6-1 and because he won like three fights on Ultimate Fighter. I know there are exhibition matches, but they were good experiences for him. Currently, they got it. Treshawn Gore, minus 140. The comeback on Cody Brundage is plus 120. Interesting fight. Let's see where let's see where the odds open for this one. So they actually opened minus 115, Brunage, minus 105, Treshawn Gore. Um you know, I actually called Treshawn Gore's uh first few fights uh on the regional scene, and he definitely stood out back then, man. Obviously, 
a very gifted athlete, but not just a guy that relies on his talents. He's one of the hardest workers at the gym here in ATT Atlanta and always hearing good things about him. Um, and I think what happened in that UFC debut, um, you know, people talk about the low volume, but I think that was kind of like a one-time thing, low volume. Usually his volume is not that low. I think that he got caught up in the moment. I think he was a 3-0 and guy making his UFC debut. He was too cocky. I mean, you watch the pre-fight in terms of, like, the fighter introductions, and he's talking shit to battle and this and that. I, I just think it was a young mistake, and I think it was a situation where he had to learn from that, and I think he's going to be a lot more focused here. And I think he could have won that fight if he had let his hands go a little bit more. I don't even think that fight was about what battle uh, Brian Battle did right. I think that fight was more about what Treshawn Gore did wrong. But, uh, but I talk about this all the time. Fighters with 10 pro fights or less are going to be making these huge leaps every single time, and that's exactly what I expect from, uh, from Treshawn Gore. And with Cody Brunage, look, Y'all know I love my guillotine, so that was sick that, you know, he was getting whooped, and then he, he was able to manage to get that nasty guillotine on Dolce. And Dolce ain't going to just tap unless shit's really locked in. So props to him, opportunistic. You know, the guy's got good takedowns. It's just, you know, I question certain things about how he pushes when when times get tough in there, you know. Uh, and you could say, well, he overcame adversity his last fight. Yes, but I kind of felt like, Dolce shot right into that and gave him that. Whereas, you know, the Willie Knight fight, he was able to get that first takedown on Willie Knight, but when the second one didn't work, he checked out and went home. And I think that when, I think he's going to resort back to his old ways. I think when things don't work here, that Treshawn Gore, I expect a much more mature performance for starters. I, I expect him to actually show what he's capable of. I think he's going to come in here locked in, focused, isn't going to be fucking around, isn't going to be talking a bunch of shit during the fighter walkouts and during the fighter introductions, isn't going to, you know, do some some just make a rookie mistake, which is what he did. And that those rookie mistakes are the things you learn from. Again, it's one it's a bigger red flag if you're getting out here dropped by jabs. But when you do something that you can actually correct which is what happened. I think he is going to correct it, and I think he's going to come out here. I think he's going to put a hurting on Cody Brunage, but props to Brunage. I respect him. Um, Dominic said, does he have takedown defense? Yes, he does, and he's actually got some decent grappling as well. He's he's pretty well-rounded for, for a guy that early in his career. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I got uh, I got Treshawn Gore here to kind of remind people why he was the top prospect on that season of the ultimate fighter and why a lot of people said that he, he's got a bright future in the sport if he loses this fight i think it's a case of just him still maybe being a little bit too green but i, I think i think he's got something for cody brunage so i i got Treshawn gore here now this one i'm excited about next up in the featherweight division we got a rematch between uganda's own david onama he's nine and one Taking on Garrett Armfield, who's eight and two. And currently they got it. David Onama. Just depends where you look. Everywhere from minus six fifty to minus eight hundred. Comeback on Armfield is plus five hundred. So just so y'all know, these two have uh have fought before. And they fought before on the amateur scene. And I uh Someone said these two have fought before. Yeah, um, I actually posted their first video on uh, on my Twitter at Best Fight Picks if y'all want to check that out. But one thing about uh, this fight, so I always talk about how like you know 
amateur fights hold zero weight in my mind. They literally don't mean shit. I've seen guys go like two and eight in amateurs and then have winning pro records. Like amateurs like practice. So when I saw this whole thing, you know, people posting about like that uh, Sean O'Malley fight that he lost in fucking 2014 at amateurs, like you know, while he was just a little kid, like holds zero weight in my mind. If, if that hold it, if that held any relevance, then why didn't Pedro Munoz treat him like that? If that held any relevance, and how come he's 16 and one as a pro? So it's that to me literally means jack shit. It, like it's like uh, the Allen Iverson quote, like you're talking about practice. I know we ain't talking about practice, you know what I'm saying? So amateur fights, but the reason why why this will be an exception where I do bring up an amateur fight is because these two fought each other before. So it's somewhat of a reference point. And, and basically the case was this, you know, Armfield's actually no slouch. I think he does belong in the UFC. I think he's got nice speed and he's actually going to be a bit faster here because he's a bantamweight moving up to featherweight. And he's got a little sneaky high kick. Uh, I, I I like him a lot, and I actually do think he'll win some UFC fights when he uh, when he when he drops back down to bantamweight. But here against Onama, the size obviously is going to be too much, but that UFC experience is going to be something else because Onama's a guy who right away got thrown in there with Mason Jones up a weight class, and he fought Mason Jones tooth and nail. Man, he showed a lot of heart in that fight. He got around off of Mason Jones, and that was one of the best fights of that year. That was an unbelievable fight. And then the next fight against Gabriel Mogli Benitez, who's an established vet of the sport, I know y'all remember when I was one of the only people on Onama in that fight and everybody was giving me shit and everybody was planting their flag on Gabriel Benitez after the Billy Q beatdown of all things. And uh, we went out there and we cashed on out. What was it? It was somewhere between minus 135 to minus 150. I don't, I don't remember the exact odds. We've been on a lot of fights this year. But yeah, Onama went out there and, and took care of biz. I mean... Onama's getting better, technically speaking, but he's always going to be able to get away with a lot of things because of his athletic gifts. I mean, the guy, when we, we, we talk about that African power all the time, it's not something you can write off, you know, and he trains with James Krause. He's got the calf kick game going on. His hands are on point. Don't sleep on his grappling either. And just the size difference here is going to be huge. So the first time they fought was a 30-27 win for uh, David Onama. First two rounds, I mean, they were clear for Onama, but, you know, um, Armfield did have a little something for him, but the third round, that's when Onama really took over and really put it on him, man. And no two fights are created equally, so maybe this is the time where he goes out there and gets that finish. So I, I do think Onama, I mean, I, I think he's minus fucking 800 for a reason. I think he's going to come out here and beat an opponent he's very familiar with, but I think that this opponent is going to come back. He's going to pick himself back up. He's going to dust himself off. He's going to drop to his regular weight class of 135 pounds, and, and I think that he, he can uh, come out here and win a lot of UFC fights, just not Saturday night. So... I'm going to go with uh, David Onama to, to win this fight. Everybody, do me another favor. Got to remind you all all the time. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Um, and uh, let's uh, move on to the next fight. Because next up in the 205-pound division, we got a match between Kennedy and Zetruku. He's 9-3, and three, taking on Carl Roberson, who is 9-5. and five. Currently, they got it. Kennedy and Zetruku minus 130. The comeback on Carl Roberson is plus 110. They opened it minus 125 for Kennedy and Zetruku. It's just one of these things where it's like Kennedy and Zetruku is like so 
athletically gifted six foot five 83 inch uh reach i mean lands five strikes per minute like the guy's got all the athletic tools but like how long am i gonna be waiting for this guy to finally put it together like how long is it gonna be like are, are you finally gonna do it this time i mean like this is like the perfect opponent to do it against because baby k carl roberson ain't, ain't been looking his best man carl roberson uh has seen better days and there was one point actually when carl roberson had a lot of hype like y'all remember his fight with jack marshman um even the fight with uh darren stewart like joe rogan was going crazy during that marshman fight like for a guy that was a former like glory striker and uh carl roberson he was out there hitting blast doubles and it seemed like at one point he was a promising prospect but it's just every single time that you know fights hit the mat or fights get tough like just doesn't quite respond well and not to mention he's got a nine inch reach disadvantage here a four inch height disadvantage it's just like kennedy like can we let our hands go please like kennedy can we just like for once like dude if you had the video game controller on kennedy do will be a world champion right now you know it's just can can i rely on this guy because he's got all the tools physically skills wise technique everything to come out here and beat carl roberson it's just can i trust you like is this finally going to be the time where like i can trust you to take care of business so i'm gonna go with kennedy i think he's got more heart than carl roberson i think carl roberson is at that point where he's maybe one or two fights away from retirement i think he's you know i think he's uh you know consider i think I, I think he's uh what did i ask cody Dern the other day about when he took that loss like oh yeah oh yeah i think he's questioning things I think he's questioning a lot of things right now. Um, and uh, this fight's going to let us know about that. Maybe maybe Roberson comes out with a new fire we haven't seen in a long time. Who knows? But I'll lean Kennedy. It's just it's going to really piss me off when Kennedy doesn't let his hands go, when Kennedy makes this fight way closer than it needs to be, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm going to go with Kennedy and Zetriku to win this fight. But, like, with what kind of confidence i mean i guess i got the confidence that he's fighting someone that has not looked good in a very long time and someone who seems like he's down in the dumps mentally but it's like i've been waiting for kennedy to have this breakthrough performance for like how long now so may maybe this weekend's the time maybe this weekend's the time so we'll see what happens Oh, shit, I covered the whole card because I already talked about uh, Ronnie Lawrence versus Saeed Yacoub. So awesome, guys. Thank you all so much for being here with me on this special UFC Vegas 58 edition of Half the Battle. I'll be back next week and I'll try to book a, another interview with a fighter on Tuesday. And um, make sure you all check out my interview with Cody Durden. I mean, you know, a lot of interviews, they like to beat around the bush. They like to bullshit. They like to do this. They don't like to ask the hard questions. I asked the hard questions. We didn't just talk about... You know the amazing first round finish he had you know against uh jp buys i also talked about the mokaya fight i also talked about the post fight speech he had against uh the mongolian murderer like we we didn't beat around the bush man like we addressed everything so um yeah i uh definitely think y'all need to check it out it's on my youtube channel it's available everywhere podcasts are found so make sure y'all listen to my 40 minute sit down with uh with cody Durden. Dominic said, is he racist? Dominic, let me ask you something, man. 
I'm a first generation American son of immigrants. You actually don't know me, but I was going to say, if you knew me, you know uh, who my friends are. You know the women I date. You know, my first language was Spanish. Like, if I thought for a second this guy was racist, I would not give him the time of day. So I just think you need to check it out because he explains. We, we I asked him the hard questions and, and we went into it. So y'all uh, got to go in there and just just listen to it for yourself. Just listen to it for yourself and form your own opinion. But I think he's a genuine good guy. So, yeah. Anyways, y'all, Big Mark said you're Mexican. Uh, my mom's Mexican. Um, I was born in the States. My dad's European. So I'm, I'm a mutt. I'm a, I'm a mix. Uh, but, yeah, thank, thank y'all. Thank y'all very much. So, everybody, smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Leave me a comment after this video is up. And then on Twitter, y'all do me a favor with those shares, those retweets, those comments. And like, if y'all genuinely enjoyed like what you heard today and any other time, like feel free to share the video and tell people. Cause I feel like when I had to take a couple months off cause of COVID, I feel like people kind of turned their back on me and forgot about me and, and, and this and that. But like, I need the fans to get behind me because I don't got nobody else behind me. It's just me and y'all. So I really appreciate you guys so much for everything. It means the world to me. And y'all can reach out to me anytime. You know, sometimes when I get tweets sent at me, if I'm not following you, like the tweets don't show up, but my D my uh, DMs are always open. So if y'all want to message me, I'm always down to talk. So especially with anybody that supports me. So thank you all so much for everything. It truly means a lot to me smash the like hit the subscribe follow me on uh twitter at best fight picks and until the next time let's cash these bets